Well, estimating how far you'll get in any given sermon is never something you can predict confidently. And so actually, this is part two of last Sunday evening's sermon. And so don't adjust your sets or think you're on the wrong channel here, but it's the same title. Um, nothing's changed since last week in that regard. And so we are part of something very significant, or perhaps I should say we are still part of something very significant. And so we're picking up there those following questions and answers on their sheets uh, from the second heading this evening. But really just by way of looking back at where we have been, we have seen that in the verses we're looking at, and those are verses 9 to 14, that we really are in breathtakingly deep country and God's great plans, and those great plans which all come together in the Lord Jesus Christ, ever was planned to be thus, and is presently happening. And uh, we looked, didn't we, last time there about what's happening, as we see in verse 10, that uh, this working out, this dispensation, how in the present times, this present stewardship, things are to happen. Well, it is that God might gather together in one all things in Christ, whether things in heaven or things which are on earth in him. And we, friends, if we're believers, are being gathered in one under his headship. And as we leave behind our old habits and old ways, as we forsake the, the world and become more clearly and deliberately Christ, so that gathering process, that bringing us into harmony fully with Christ's headship is an ongoing process. And all of it is intended one day, of course, to come to a final fruition when our Lord returns. And we're all very much gathered together, and the whole company of angels, all the things that are in heaven, which are on earth, we're all united there in a very, very clear, very tangible way under the very visible uh, lordship of Christ, even that his enemies there in justice, uh, that justice is done and seen to be done. And those who have hated our Lord, thought little of him, thought it foolishness, are then sent away. Having seen the glory of Christ, having realized who it was they dismissed for so long, and they learn, but too late and to their cost, but that is the glorious Son of God, in all of his beauty, purity, loveliness, that their eyes may have seen, but then will see no more. And that is quite a sobering thought. So they're gathered together, and including within that the, the working out of his plans of justice, judgment, and then all things are under his feet. Well, my second heading, tonight's first heading, but in terms of this sermon, the second heading, we are looking forward. We are looking forward. We, we, we are caught up in this. And this first chapter doesn't, uh, doesn't sort of underplay, uh, what's happening. Doesn't, uh, kind of keep it a secret from us what, what is to be seen, what's to happen, but is very, very clear. We should know where we've come from, where we presently are, and where we're going to. And right from the beginning, Right from the beginning, before the foundation of the world, we have been part of something very significant, the plans of God 
um, these plans. Paul repeats this thought, doesn't he, here that they're all according to the counsel of his will. They're according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. So if you want explanations for anything, how come we're here? How come that we're talking about these things, believing these things? Well, then you find them in him, in his purposes, in his will, in his plans. And we have just been brought in, gathered in, into this and appreciating the Lord Jesus Christ. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Surely we bow the knee now. We sing his praises. We're happy, very happy to be associated with him, to be called his people, named after him. And one day, well, everybody will bow the knee to him. And uh, some who never thought that they could see themselves doing that will find themselves doing it, as we've seen, to their cost. And so we're looking forward. We're looking onward. And that while we are here and we're on pilgrimage, sojourners, temporary visitors here, we haven't got, as it were, a permanent citizenship. Our citizenship is somewhere else. It's in heaven. And we have received an inheritance. It's there in verse 11. In him, Paul forever is bringing the name of Christ in, bring him in, his person, his work. That all is associated with everything that we have, because that is the the sum of, of Christian theology. It's in Christ. Every subject you look at, you you look at as in Christ. And so when we look for what we have to come, already received, but which will come even more fully in the future, our inheritance, well, how have we obtained it? Well, we've obtained it in him, in him, through him, by our association in him, with him, coming from him. And so as ever, we receive our blessings coming from him, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's that's the connection. Our connection with him guarantees everything else that follows. Without him, there is nothing. We are adrift. We are lost in our sins. But in him, there is everything. And this inheritance, well, it's actually his inheritance that we now come to share in. That as he is rewarded with this, this great headship and following through from that, that, that place and that prominence, and that rule and authority, well, we are invited to be part of that also, to share with him, not in our own right, not because we've earned that place, we worked hard down here and that's only ours by reward, surely. No, uh, nothing was ours by reward except condemnation. But instead, in Christ, then what he has by way of his inheritance, the Father has given to him title to heaven and all authority there, but he's pleased to share those things with us. And so we'll come and enter into these things too. Come and be part of what is already mine. And though we cannot see him in glory, just as the cloud there, he was taken up into that and the apostles could see him no longer, these men of Galilee that were still looking into the sky. Well, so by faith, beyond the clouds as it were, we we see him in glory, installed in office, enjoying now that that inheritance, that promise that was given to him, that if he should bear our sins and should suffer humiliation, if he should be willing to have his name denigrated, though his name is glorious, if he is prepared 
for all of that, then the father will be pleased to have him vindicated, raised up, and then given all the, the whole of this wonderful inheritance, this rule, this reign, this position. And he shares it with us. And he brings us to be seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What a thought it is. We're seated here on this dark, nearly November evening. But beyond it, we, we have to kind of put that aside and kind of contemplate this inheritance seated with him. And that that is our present possession. That is not something distant there as though, well, one day, one day, and postpone any serious thought of it today. No, Paul is not saying this for people who are already there in glory. And already their eyes open to the, the wonders and the splendors of paradise. But he's saying it to us down here. In fact, he's writing it from his prison cell. So if he applies the truth to himself, there he is in chains, but no matter. He sees himself beyond those chains. He sees himself seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And he therefore tells the believers in Ephesus, that's your present possession. You have that now. Not just something that's far off in the future, but you've got to see that it has a present dimension now. That in Christ, you are as though already there. That you're so locked into the purposes of God that he is already treating you as, as belonging there, already getting everything ready for you to, to see this great place and generating for us here a little excitement at the thought of being there in that place one day. And the Holy Spirit is given to us, and so much of what we see here towards the end of this first section in Ephesians 1 takes us to the work of the Holy Spirit. And he's given for us to know these things, believe them, to go, oh, yes, there's something, and to let the truth kind of seep in and begin to make us nod to it and, and realize that uh, this is, well, to use my title, we're part of something very significant, and we surely are. And Paul writes of this as though it isn't something that's the exclusive preserved now simply of Jewish background people, says, like myself. Well, he's been talking about we have obtained in verse 11, and he's thinking there of people of his kind of background in that. He, he's going to talk a lot, isn't he, in the coming chapters about Jews and Gentiles. But what he's going to say about them is that we've all been brought together in one. And whereas there he talks about we have obtained an inheritance, we who were the first to trust in him, that's just to us first came the gospel, but then it came to the Gentiles. And it's the same result for them too. So in verse 13, in him, you also trusted. You've come into the same thing. We obtained that inheritance, so did you. And he's now thinking particularly of Gentile background people. No matter, he's saying, we're all part of the household of God. We're all built on that same foundation. This is now also your inheritance. And though, as you read the, the Old Testament promises there, and there is, is Israel, and there is all the mention made, but actually the true Israel includes any who come to Christ. So those are the true ones to inherit the promises of prophecy. And so Paul is saying, first of all, we first believed, and here we are in this inheritance, but then you came into it when you first trusted in him, when you heard the word of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation. You joined with us and our background. And although the, we were the first to receive those promises and were given special uh, privileges as, as Jewish people, but now actually those privileges have been thrown wide open to one and all. And so you too have come into these things. And this forward-looking, this having an inheritance now and knowing that it's going to be taken from us, we can't lose it, it's, it's preserved for us, we're part in Christ, and we're never out of Christ, we're in him. And so we're in that inheritance, it just follows through as a kind of natural progression. And that gives us a true confidence, a spiritual confidence, which isn't a brashness. And isn't a, a self-importance. Oh, these teachings can turn some people's heads and they just live as though they're kings here on earth and above the law and don't need to bother with this and that and piffling things like God's commandments that we're all off and away and beyond it. That's a huge mistake and it makes for very untidy Christian living and generates a carelessness and a brashness and an arrogance that is the very opposite of what scripture teaches to be what a spiritual life looks like. But on the other hand, we are to savor what is to come. We are to enjoy the, the, the beginnings of this. We, we are here. This is glory in the bud. I would say that to what we have received, it's there. It's going to blossom forth one day when we go from this place into our true home. And we're to know that. To feel something of the anticipation of that, notwithstanding the years that passed since these words were written, or since people were preaching about the second coming of Christ. Yet yeah, it's almost like the, the kind of run up to Christmas. Oh, the anticipation of it is talking the sadness actually here in Derbyshire that schools don't break up to the 23rd of December. Well, so much for a run up to Christmas there. It's a pretty short run up. We've got about a day of it before it's Christmas itself. And, then they go back to school somewhere in the second week of January. Well, there's not so much to be said for the first or second week of January compared to the week before Christmas. Oh, the excitement and the anticipation. Well, that is, is ours. That is our anticipation. And it's not lost by being in a prison cell. That's where Paul is. He's not sort of in some pleasant environment. He's not... Uh, there, we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount this morning, where he's not just sort of looking over blue, blue Galilee or something like that, and verdant, pleasant meadows and flowers growing. He's in a prison cell. That doesn't matter. It's the same fact. It's the truth. Whether you're in a prison cell or whether you're walking in pleasant surroundings, and we're hoping Saturday the weather holds good for a pleasant surroundings around Eden. But he's not there. He, he's in prison. But being in prison doesn't take anything away from this promise and this expectation and hope, glory to come. Days of small things that we're living in. Oh, yes, a day of small things. We, well, don't look around yourself there. You'll see just how small the things are. Not exactly many of us are there. there. And yet, well, the same truth prevails. Well, if there are even fewer of us, it would still be true. Uh, it would be a fact. And there are believers, aren't there, in parts of the world who would really give their eye teeth to be sat here in a warm room and without police surveillance and without uh, troubles uh, expected from uh, the police or the government because they're gathering together. 
They'd be very happy, actually, to have what we have here. But yes, they have small things, but it doesn't negate that. We're not living in a time of revival doesn't mean that, therefore, all of this is somewhere gone from our grasp, gone from our grip. Far from it. Neither the general lack of progress in the gospel, lack of interest in our present age, which is why we live in these days of small things, that doesn't negate it either. That we have this inheritance. We've obtained it, have obtained it. It's, it, it's our possession. It's, it's locked into uh, our soul's experience. And the Holy Spirit is given to us to, to generate their expectation and hope, to center our faith upon these great things that are to come. And all of this is proof of his power and of his love, that he is able to hold on to us, to get us to that place. And all of it has come out of his heart of love toward his people. And it's going to lead to his praise, to the praise of his glory. Verse 12, these people, us, Paul is saying, Jewish background people, we have the praise of his glory. Paul says, I'm the most unlikely candidate. I, I was persecuting the church. And I was a blasphemous man, an insolent man. And yet the Lord had mercy upon me because I acted in unbelief. I didn't know any better. I was an absolutely foolish, foolish man. And now I'm saved. Now I'm preaching the gospel I once tried to destroy. In the name which I tried to forbid people mention, I now preach him all the time and I can't use his name enough. I can't bring him into everything I'm saying enough. So he is now my everything. And so I am for the praise of God's glory. I show forth the, the handiwork of God, his power, how he changes people, how he holds on to them, brings them through all the shipwrecks that he had and times that he was cast in the middle of the sea and troubles in the country, troubles in the city and everything that he relates there in Second Corinthians and in chapter 11. And he's held and he, he's kept. And at the end of it, God was able to show to all the company and the angels in glory, indeed show too to those that were disobedient, the people who never listened. This is what I did. I brought these people all the way through. I, I brought each and every one of them home. And so we too, Gentile background people, verse 13, you also trusted in him when you heard this gospel. And now having believed, and Paul has things to say here. It's not as if he said, well, you had something different to us, that we haven't been sealed with the Holy Spirit, but you have. No, he's just relating now the identical thing that he himself has experienced, that all the Jewish background people had experienced, that they believed and then were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So this uh, is now my third heading. If you're following from last week or second heading tonight, so confusing this, isn't it? But anyway, you have the Holy Spirit, right? You have the Holy Spirit. That's what he is saying to those believers. He's saying it about himself, and he's saying it about them. Not, you will have. Not, well, you trusted in him, and well, that's well and good. Now, let's do something further, and you've got to do some special things, and breathe in a particular way, or clear your mind, and wait for something to happen to you. He's saying none of that. He's saying you already have received the Holy Spirit. He is now living in you, dwelling in you. When you believed, then 
you received. In fact, without the Holy Spirit, you would never have believed in the first place. And this is just a further dimension of the Holy Spirit's work and conversion and then sealing us. And in all of that, well, you add into it justification. You can add into it our adoption as sons and the sealing work of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying something here, isn't he, that is, 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 is a big thing. This is very, very significant. This is not a, oh, by the way, you receive the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit of promise. Promise of God was that you would receive the Holy Spirit. And now you have, and he indeed then brings all the promises of God that are in Christ into our minds and focuses our attention upon him. Now being sealed means what? It Well, it means it's like the proof of a genuine article, that you are the genuine real article. God has put his seal and said, these are mine. These are my people. I own them. They, they are mine to protect, mine to watch over, and it's a genuine ownership. They can look back upon me and say, well, we we are genuinely owned by our God. We belong to him. We belong to Christ. We belong to the Father. I can say, indeed, we belong to the Holy Spirit. And that indicates that we're under sovereign protection. And it's not something that is, ah, just a fact. It happened. I don't know much about this. It's not something that has no impact upon us, upon how we think, how we feel, the kinds of people that we are. It should work actually as a pervasive influence within us to make and change the life within. It's not just a, a matter of fact that we say it and believe it. Well, that was that, was it? I didn't know anything about it and didn't feel any of it. No, it'll be felt, this ownership, this seal that we are sealed by him that having brought us into his own family and adopted us as children, that he doesn't want us then to live as though we knew nothing of it. He wants us to know our sonship. He wants us to know we belong here. He wants us to know that we belong together with his son in a place where we receive this inheritance. He wants us to know that. And the Holy Spirit actually wants us to know that. And he wants to bring that truth and reality to us. Doesn't want us to be ignorant of it. And so while, well, we have to say and put it as gen gently as I can, others are sort of trying to sort of call upon the spirit to do some weird and wacky thing to them or turn them inside out, upside down, lead them to fall down on the floor or shake or shiver or do do something like that. That's the very opposite of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. He wants to bring a reality of what we have in Christ more and more into the people that we are, that is there in our thinking. And he's there to warm our thoughts and to give us hope when we're feeling perhaps a little despairing and to bring us comfort when we feel that we're living in darkness and, and to bring a real sense of who we are, belonging to Christ. And in that, it just enlarges who Christ is and that he died for people like us. He surely did. That he rose for our sakes, we did that too. He rose into heaven and he's there praying for us now, certainly is. And the Holy Spirit is there to make truth a matter of a living reality 
within us and to bond us more and more to God our Father and bond us more and more to our Lord Jesus Christ, makes more sure of it, confident in it, and to do all that's necessary to sanctify us. Because the more sanctified we are, the more all of this makes sense to us. If sin's there, then these other things are less and less within our reach. They're, they're distant or almost invisible to us. And so he sanctifies us and takes away the love of the world, takes away the pride of life, takes away the lust of the eyes, brings to our attention the things that really are his to show us, to reveal them to us. And so with his help, because we're sealed, God's ownership of us, and he wants us to know this and feel very much we belong here and that we've got good standing because of Christ. So the Bible comes alive to us because of real word, real communication from God. These are not just any old words. This is the word of God. And he's got things to say. He's got so much to say. So many things. Clamors for your attention, doesn't it? You open the Bible and start to read it. And where do you begin? There's just so, so much that he is saying. And all of it there comes to you with an, an urgency. Clamors for your attention. You feel that's important. Oh, and that's important. Oh, and that's important. And the Holy Spirit is impressing upon us. This is, this is urgent. This is the book. This comes from God. And give it your full attention, showing us where we're out of order, proving to us where we still are erring, bringing us to repentance that we behave as sons should behave, as those who are adopted part of his family should be. What should be our thinking? How should we be behaving? And therefore repentance to bring us into better order, better alignment with God's will is part of what he is doing. But then the Holy Spirit doesn't need simply a, a, a Sunday service, no other place that he'll work, or you've got to have this book open, otherwise he can, can't help you or do anything to you. No, he, he can make the truth stay when the book's closed. Now, I hope it stays after the service is finished, or you switch the lights off and you're driving home, or walking home. Well, I trust the Holy Spirit is still making the reality of the word of God a fact for you and a fact for me. And not something that, well, as I say, you shut the door, you go down the steps, and by the time you reach the gate, it's all gone. No, the Holy Spirit can work when the sermon has stopped, when the preaching has ended, when you close your Bible, because it's a living word. And what is there, he wants to unlock more and more of it, and impress our souls more and more with the reality of Christ, that we may trust him more, believe in him more. Impress the truth, express the truth to us, have, as it were, a further sermon happening within our soul. A better sermon than any preacher can preach as he takes the word of God, affects our thoughts, we begin to see, I've got that wrong, and uh, let's just get this a bit better now, and let's move off from that, let's move in to this, let's let's forget that old way, and what a waste of time that that was, and let's really make the most of time now, and seek to grow uh, in a way that we know that God has shown to us, and we, we see his love, that's the fact, isn't it, we see his love, we, we see it, we see it in eternity past, we See his love in that that Christ shed his blood for us. We see his love in that he predestined us for this great inheritance there, which we see again in verse 11. 
And the inheritance crops up again, doesn't it, in verse 14. You see, the fact that we have the Holy Spirit within us working and communicating truth to us is also an indication that the inheritance is there. It's, it's all ready guaranteed. And that's the word that's used, the guarantee. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee. There is the proof that all that God has promised, the final fulfillment, is, is guaranteed. That he's begun that good work and he's going to complete that good work till the day of Jesus Christ. There's the purchased possession. He's sealed, owns these. These are my people. They're, they're mine. I'll hold on to them. And when the day has come, they'll have a new body to go with their soul. I've, I've started the work. Already they're born again. They, they are now appreciating benefits of what our Lord Jesus Christ did. They're seeing more and more of him, gaining more and more in their understanding. They're leaving the world behind, leaving their sins behind. They are seeing more and more what lies ahead. And that is therefore guarantee that work, the work of the Holy Spirit, therefore means that we move forward one day, that we will be purchased that what he has put, as it were, mine. So as though somebody goes to a shop and they look and they write, take that, that and that. There we are, reserved, reserved, reserved. And I'll be back soon to take them home with me. And it's sure going to happen. And he'll take us home finally to glory, to enjoy that inheritance, to have a body one day, the general resurrection. That'll be fitted for that place that will work perfectly in the new environment of heaven. And all of that's... Well, really, this is telling us it's as good as done. It's as good as done. It's, it's already accomplished. It's already finished. Uh, and we are to agree. This is a great plan. We're to agree that it's all in the hands of Jesus Christ. And therefore, how can it fail? And what a gracious gift of the Holy Spirit we've received, helping us when we're feeling discouraged to lay hold of it again and helping us when we're feeling discomforted by, by the world and some of our own troubling thoughts and doubts. No way, get back on track and we see again more clearly. So we in the end, uh, it's all to the praise of his glory. In the end, our final arrival in heaven, having come through many troubles, toils and snares, having had to fight against the world, having to fight against our sinful nature, having to, to get through our fears and worries and besetting sins. And then he brings us in finally to our home. Our eyes are wide open. This is beyond, beyond anything we could have imagined. It's so, so, so wonderful. It will be. And I've not been there yet to be able to report back to you exactly what it looks like. But the Bible tells us enough to know it's really going to be good. And the Lord is going to be there right in the middle of it all. Uh, and we're going to love being there. And we're going to be very, very much in tune with worshipping and part of the life and experience of heaven. And that will be to the praise of his glory. That will just show what a wonderful God he is. What a high and holy being. How generous and gracious to have done all this worked all this out for us and then brought us where we were times kicking and screaming to be part of it and here today still on the journey but it's as good as done you've all got a reserved price on us we've all 
God, as it were, owned by him. And so the devil, do not therefore touch. No, you haven't got a place. You can't have them. They are mine. And so the final working out of this plan will be us moving into the fullness of that inheritance one day. So hold fast, keep steadfast. One day, all that we read here, Paul wrote from that prison cell, written to people like us in our own, it feels like a prison cell. Well, that's to illuminate the very innermost part of our soul and to give us great hope for what still lies ahead. Amen.